And today we want to talk about the light, ministers of the light of God. And when we think about this time of year, we have two contrasts that are going on. We have the fact that it basically gets dark, it seems like about 10 minutes after it gets light. I mean, it's that quick. We have a very short time of year uh, for light right now, and we have a lot of darkness that is taking place. And with that darkness, though, what happens is the lights become more beautiful. The lights that are shining, everybody that has lights, put, people put up Christmas lights, people put up all kinds of lights, because it's a great opportunity to see what's out there. And, and so the darkness is more prevalent this time of year, but it also means that the light is more prevalent. The light is more powerful when it's going out there. And so what we want to talk about today is what does it mean for us to bring the light? Because the Bible talks about, there's one of the, a famous Christmas song that's light of the world. You came down into darkness. And we're talking about that today is that we are the light of the world and the world is in darkness. We are to bring that light we are to bring that to people. So let's look at 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 6. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice uh, cunning or tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled because, to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded uh, the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Christ's sake, or for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts, hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of, the, of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, this passage, you may look at this and you say, he is talking about the ministry. He is talking about a ministry. You don't understand, pastor, I'm not the pastor. I'm not in the ministry. People talk about that. Are you in the ministry? The answer is yes to everybody who is here. We are all in the ministry. We are all in this. In fact, the word that is used for ministry here, it's very interesting, is, is the word that we get our word deacon from. And if you break it even further back, it's word for uh, waiting tables. It's for doing service ministry. It is not, I have to sing, or I have to teach a class, or I have to um, preach a sermon, or something like that. It is the ministry that we are called to. And all of us are called to a mission field every day in our home, in our, in our world, wherever we are, our school, wherever. We are called to reach people. Everywhere we go, that is the truth. And so it's important that we understand that we are called to ministry, but also we need to understand that ministry can be frustrating at times. It can be frustrating, and sometimes we say, what's the point? Nobody seems to care. Nobody seems to care the fact that I'm preaching to them and are teaching them or living out a life. They just don't seem to get it. I'm trying to shine the light into a world that is of darkness, and the world just seems to get darker and darker, and we don't seem to make any difference. And there's a discouragement. And Paul is expressing the fact, he, he, in chapter 3 he talked about this, but now in chapter 4, again, he's talking about the fact that it can be discouraging. It can break you down, but he is saying, 
that it is worth it, and God has a plan for it. So this passage here is about for ministers of the light, and it's to talk about how we are to bring the light, but also to give us some encouragement and say we can do this in spite of the fact that it seems like we're fighting an uphill battle. It seems like we are outnumbered, and we are outnumbered by people. I can tell you that. But our God, when our God is on our side, we are never outnumbered. So it's important for us to understand that, yes, we are the minority, but, we are in the, but with God on our side, we become the strength of the world. The first thing we need to look at is, the, is 2 Corinthians 4, 1, verse 1, is, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. He's talking about having this ministry. And what he is going back to is the therefore at the beginning of the passage. If you've ever done legal study or if you've ever done math, you always do an argument and then you say at the end, therefore, because of all this stuff beforehand, therefore, this is the truth. Okay? And the therefore, what he is trying to say here is, the minist- if you look back at verse 8, he talks about the ministry of the Spirit. And if you look at verse 9, he talks about the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. So he's talking about the fact that we are to bring the ministry of the Spirit and righteousness wherever we go. The only chance for this world, people talk about morality. And in this last election, there was a lot of talk, and especially from Christians, if we just get the right government in there, everyone will become righteous. That's not what this verse says. Now, I'm all for good government, voting for right people. This verse says when the Spirit of God is, there will be righteousness. So if we could have a terrible government and have righteous people, you can have a good government and have unrighteous people. And so sometimes we think if just, or if we just have these leaders, or if our schools did a better job, if, our, if you know, the police did a better job, or we point out all of these factors, but you know what? It comes back to the Spirit of God and God ministering through us. And He is trying to say, People are going to become righteous. People are going to have a different lifestyle. People are going to live better lives when you bring them the Spirit of God. Your neighbors are going to stop sinning not because you yell at them all the time and not because you voted the right way or not because a teacher is going to come in or a cop. They're going to stop sinning when the Spirit of God comes into their lives. They're going to become righteous. It's the only hope that we have. And the breakdown that we see in our country is, is, is correlating and, and um, you know, exactly you know, coming with the fact that we see a breakdown of our church attendance, we break down of our people that are, that are calling themselves followers of Christ, it's no wonder that we have the problems that we have. Because as we move farther away from God, there's going to be less righteousness. So in this, though, it's important that we understand that we're not to lose heart. In fact, the word here is better translated not being cowardly or not shrinking back. In other words, you are asked to take on something in ministry that is daunting. You are asked to take on something. I played, I, I played basketball, and I was always undersized because I wasn't fast and I can't jump, which you think, well, why do you play basketball then? Okay, uh, but I always had to play guys that were bigger than me. I always had to play guys that were bigger than me. 6'10 guy would line up in me. I got him. I don't know how I'm going to get him, but I'm going to guard that guy. And you may have something in your life where you line up and it says, this is an insurmountable odd. There's no way that I can do this. 
And what Paul is saying right here is don't lose heart. Don't become cowardly. Realize the fact, don't shrink back. You can handle this. God is on your side, and the task that you have been called to do, you can handle. You may say, but you don't know my situation. I don't, but I guarantee you that God does. I guarantee that he knows your situation. He knows your family members. He knows the people that you are ministering to, and he knows he can do it. He says, don't give up, don't become cowardly, and don't shrink back. Now, the same word is used a couple times in the Bible, this word for losing heart or shrinking back. Luke 18.1, and these all seem to link together. Jesus, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. It's easy to lose heart when we don't pray. And sometimes it's easy to lose heart when we do pray because we said, I just prayed now, God, I demand instant satisfaction. Okay, I prayed, I put in the money, now the slot machine or the machine should give me back something. Right? That's not the way it always works. He says to keep praying and not to lose heart. And that is important in our ministry. 2 Corinthians 4.16, which is coming up, this is one that for all, some of us is more difficult than others. But he says, We do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away and our inner self is being renewed day by day. In other words, we don't lose heart in spite of the fact that we're getting older, slower, and can't do as much stuff. Some of it, for everybody here who's younger, like, what? I don't understand. For the rest of us, okay, we're getting slower, older. Maybe our hearing isn't as good. I'm having to start using reading glasses myself. And it's like, I hold up bottles, and it's like, did they make everything smaller? I swear they did. Okay, why did they do that? I mean, why, why the small print? It's like, no, your eyes are going bad. Okay, you know, I do something, I work, and all of a sudden, I don't respond as quickly. And Paul is saying here, our outsides are wasting away, but our new is getting better every day. So our inside is getting better. He says, and don't lose heart. It's okay. You're going to be fine. God's going to still use you in spite of the fact that we're not, we're not 20 anymore. Okay? Um, uh, what I've heard from athletics is 27 is supposed to be the prime where the intelligence and experience meets your physical prowess. Okay? So if you're, and when I was, everybody talks about what was the hardest birthday for me? 27. Because I thought, oh, I just did a study on this. This means I'm going downhill for the rest of the way. So that was always my thing. 27 was that number. So we need to understand we can't lose heart because of that. Galatians 6, 9 says, Do not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we know we will reap if we do not give up. Have you ever done, just followed after what God has said you to do and it doesn't seem to make any difference? Keep doing it. Don't grow weary of doing good. It's going to have some effect. 2 Thessalonians 3.13 says the same thing. Do not grow weary in doing good. Ephesians 3.13 says, So I ask you not to lose heart for over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Another thing that's very difficult and easy to lose heart in is watching somebody else suffer. Watching someone that you care about go through a difficult time. So what Paul is trying to say with this word here, and we're trying to use these examples. Yes, it's tough to get older. Yes, it's tough to always be good. Yes, it's tough to see another person suffer. He says, but we're not supposed to lose heart in any of these situations. Don't stop praying. Don't start, stop working. Don't stop doing what God has called you to do. Keep it up. And the ways we can do this is remember, first of all, Christ's attitude. 
We just did our live nativity yesterday. Remember the fact that um, Jesus, one of my favorite things about Jesus, if you're ever a child, I say this joke every year, so if you don't, if you say, oh, it's corny, that's fine. Um, Jesus is the only kid who can answer, what, were you born in a barn? And he can say yes. Okay, when somebody says you didn't close the door. Because I was told as a kid, you know, you didn't close the door. What, are you born in a barn? Jesus can just say yes. So we see the fact that Jesus is the one who came down, the, the creator of earth, shivering in a stable. Okay? His attitude is, and I can imagine him saying, was this a good idea? All right? How about right before he was crucified? Him saying, if there is another way, God, reveal it right now. I need to know. You know there was on his heart going, this is hard. This, I, I, he was losing heart. I mean, the fact that he's sweating and blood is coming out, I'm not a medical expert. I don't think that's normal. That tells you that something is really going on in him and he is struggling. But Christ was faithful to the cross for you. How much more are we faithful to our ministry to other people? So Christ has given you an example. Also, remember in ministry, especially when you're working with somebody and you say, no, they're not growing. I, I, I share my faith with this person every day. They seem to get worse every day. Remember that you were that other person at one time. Okay, everybody needs to remember that. You were that other person that drove everybody crazy. I was the kid that drove a lot of Sunday school teachers crazy. Okay? I was the kid that was kicked out of children's church. Yeah, there you go. Now you guys are all like, well, we're not coming back next week. All right, I, I mean, I, I had my moment. In other words, I had people work in my life. And one of the first uh, funerals, and in fact, the first funeral I ever did up here was for one of my Sunday school teachers. Uh, she was my second grade Sunday school teacher, and she was so proud. I think she was proud that I'd made it. <laughs> I knew you in second grade, and wow, you're doing okay. But understand the fact that don't go weary in doing good because you don't know what's going to come of this. You just don't know what's going to happen with what you're doing. But also understand that God is there to strengthen you all along the way. Don't lose heart because there's a hope that we have, a boldness that we can have because of Christ. The second thing we need to understand for our ministry of the light is that we need to stay on the true path. And he says in verse 2, But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. You know, there are so many paths to supposed success. You can say, well, let's just fill up the building for, for Jesus. But we just won't talk about Jesus. Or we'll change the gospel so that it's more American. It's more like today. You know, the, the Bible's kind of behind the times. I mean, who does God think he is writing something thousands of years ago that we have to follow? We need something more modernized. And we think, man, it must have been great in the early church because they never had any of these issues. They were just so close to when Jesus was there. They had the apostle Paul. They had all the other apostles that they could ask about Jesus. I mean, how awesome would that have been? You know what they were doing in the church? There was disruptive ministers that were all about money. There were pastors that were distorting the word of God to gain their own recognition. There were pastors that were, that were watering down Christianity. There were pastors that were Romanizing the faith, which the Romanized f- version of the faith is, there's, the Christian faith is not about suffering. The faith is about being a real Roman strong person. 
and you shouldn't have to suffer, and we don't even want to talk about Jesus on the cross because that's offensive to us. But you know what? We do the same thing as Americans. As Americans, we have what's called the prosperity gospel. We do the same thing. We say as a Christian, you should have prosperity. You should have money. You should, have, you should never have, we don't have to worry about health care problems because we're not going to have any because we're Christians. We Americanize it. And we say to ourselves that this is all because of us. But you know what? There are people all over the world and we need to understand the fact that it's not about us, it's about the Word of God. And sometimes, in fact many times, the Word of God is going to be counter to our own culture. And we have to stay true to the Word of God and that may cost us. It may cost us because people are going to look at us and say, what are you doing? And they're going to, we're going to watch other churches or other people that are going to abuse the factor and build up churches or build up things that you say, well, why, is that, why are they being so successful? But I'll tell you this, if we're not doing it by the Word of God, we're not successful. Because if we're doing it in any other way, using any other message, because we've seen it with leaders in the world that have become cult leaders, you can do it with any other message. You can do it with all kinds of techniques. But we need to stay true to the Word of God. We need to make sure that we are using modern methods of evangelism. That's okay. But that that method did not become everything. Because I guarantee we can, we can do all kinds of things and, and make Christians. And in fact, the, what, one of the methods that was used in the Middle Ages and even starting with when uh, Rome, or the Roman Empire became a Christian empire was let's go do evangelism. And this was the method of evangelism. And it was very, quote, successful. They took the Roman army out went to a tribe and said, would you like to know Jesus? And if the tribe said no, they killed them all. They went to the next tribe. Would you like to know Jesus? I guess we would. They baptized them all and they were all Christians. They were successful, weren't they? And Charlemagne brought this up again in the Holy Roman Empire. That was their method. And they said, oh, look at all the people we've converted to Christ. And we've sent a few to hell, I guess. And that's okay. But it was successful and we did it. Well, you know what? It wasn't successful. Because we need to, that's not the way Jesus did it. That's not the way that Paul did it. That's not the way, we're not supposed to force people. We're supposed to find a way to let the Holy Spirit change people's lives. And we need to know that we are called to be faithful to what he has called us to do. We are ca- called to do in a, in a modern way the same message that has always been. And if it's offensive to our culture today, you know what? Jesus' message was offensive to his culture. Paul's message was offensive to his culture. We need to understand that we're not always going to stand with his culture. And I can tell you why, because the next point I'm going to make is that know your enemy. Know the fact that there is an enemy to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is an enemy that is on the loose in our world, and he is doing everything he can to stop what we are doing. He says, or Paul says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In verse 4 he says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is in the image of God. We need to understand that we have people in our lives that is very frustrating. We, I would love to see and people talk about revival meetings that take place and thousands of people getting saved and, and whole towns changing. And boy, do I want to see that happen in this town. 
I want to see this. But you know what? There's also times I've talked to missionary friends where they'll go and they'll work for years and they'll have one convert to Jesus Christ. And it's very frustrating. And you say, well, maybe they're in the wrong spot. Maybe they're not doing it correctly. Or maybe the fact is that we're fighting an enemy that is very strong and people like to go along with that enemy. We are fighting what, who is called the God of this age. And you say, well, wait a second. Are you saying there's another God? No, there's not another God. This is the perp- peop- uh, person that people are treating as the God of this age. And this is Satan. People would rather follow him and call him God and his ways God than call God the true God. See, Satan is not equal to God. He's not even close to equal to God. But he's cunning, he's deceitful, and he tells people that he has a better way. He tells people, if you follow after me and if you do my methods, you don't have to do all that that crazy Christian stuff to deprive yourself. Follow my way. I rule this world. I'm the one who has all the ways written mine, like I want it to be. And he is so much in control that he is able to offer Jesus all the kingdoms of the world when he tempts Jesus. You ever remember that when Jesus is in the wilderness and he's being tempted? And Satan comes up to him and tempts him with all the kingdoms of the world. How does he do that? Because he has them all under his control because they're all following him. And you say, no wonder things are going wrong. Well, now you're starting to get a point. If Satan is, if people are following after the kingdom of darkness, things are not going to go the way they're supposed to. And we need to understand the fact that God has called us to a higher way. He, 1 John 5.19 says, So that we, we know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we need to understand the fact that the world is looking at us, and we don't fit. It's okay. Jesus was very clear about this. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna stand out a little bit. Because, and you always wonder that, it seems like I'm doing good things. It seems like I'm helping people and I'm actually being a good person. What happens if that happens to somebody, if they're being good? Everybody's looking to pick one little bad thing they do and tear them down. Ever wonder that? Somebody who says, I profess a faith in Christ and I am a follower of Jesus Christ. What does the world start to do? Well, I bet they haven't done everything perfect in their life. It's not what the person said. But the world starts to tear at that because it goes against everything that we follow. That you say that you're not in control of your own life, but that Jesus Christ is in control of your life. And the world doesn't like it. We, um, there's a lot of people in this world, think about the chief priests. I, I brought this illustration to my head of, this, of the chief priests at Easter time. When Jesus rose from the dead, they knew Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And what did they do? They paid off the guards to tell everybody that Jesus didn't die from the, or rise from the dead. I'm sorry, Jesus rose from the dead and they'd rather pay off the guards and follow the God of this world than follow Jesus Christ. That tells you how much people are in control. And these are people that were supposedly religious leaders. They would rather go this way and keep their own power because the enemy says... Don't let Jesus be in control. You need to be in control. And if you become a follower of Jesus Christ, the Bible says in Apostle Paul, what's his favorite term for his following? I am a slave of Jesus Christ. Oh, you don't want to be a slave of Jesus Christ. The God of this age says, if you're with me, you don't have to be a slave. You get to do whatever you want. Guess what you're a slave to instead? Sin. 
Satan just whips you around like nothing. He just does whatever he wants with you because you're a slave to sin. And Jesus Christ, when you're a slave to him, you're actually free. So the God of this world has changed, has, has got this world. And we need to understand that there's a lot of people are saying we are smarter than those who believe in God. There's a whole movement out there that says if you're a Christian, in fact, I saw this the other day. They were trying to talk about an election. I think it was the 2004 or 2000 election where George Bush won. And they did a study of the, of the country. And they were talking about the smart people and the dumb people. The dumb people were the ones who voted for George Bush, in case you wanted to know. But these were the people that believed in such things as the Bible was the Word of God. They used that exact term. If you are a follower and believe the Bible is the Word of God, you're dumb. And then on the other side was all these people that were Nobel laureates. But the smart people would never believe the Bible is the Word of God. It was just this contrast that they were trying to say. And they were selling this book. It was in a, a prominent magazine just saying, find out why these stupid people do what they do, the people that believe these things and believe that God is real. Well, let me talk to you about a guy today that I think is pretty smart. I'm going to put his picture up here. Um, you might have heard of Sir Isaac Newton. Okay? If you're in a science class, ask your science professor about Isaac Newton. And ask him if he's a smart guy. I would say they would say yes. They still do Newton's laws of physics, right? And you know what Newton was more proud of than his physics laws? His theological works. Because he was a strong, devoted Christian. And somebody asked him, a person came to him and said, Sir Isaac, I don't understand. You seem to be able to believe the Bible like a little child. He says, I've tried, but I cannot. So many of its statements mean nothing to me. I cannot believe, I cannot understand. And Newton responded to the inquirer. He says, sometimes I go into my study and in my absent-mindedness, I attempt to light my candle when the extinguisher is over the candle. I fumble about trying to light it and I cannot. But when I remove the extinguisher, then I am able to light the candle. I'm afraid the extinguisher in your case is the love of your sins. It is desperate unbelief in you. Turn to God in repentance. Be prepared to let the Spirit of God reveal His truth to you, and it will be His joy to show the glory of the grace of God shining in the face of Christ. Let the extinguisher be removed. Let God deal with our attitudes, and then we'll be able to see God's light penetrating our darkness. So if you'd like to go to your science professor and say, can I read something from Newton? That might be a good idea. I'm just trying to read something from Isaac Newton. He's in our science class, right? Here's probably one of the most brilliant people telling, you know what? It is a smart thing to follow. Okay? It isn't, it isn't this whole thing of, oh, the smart people don't follow Jesus and the, the, you, know, you just don't do that because you're so much smarter. Nietzsche said it this way, God is dead and we killed him. Now, we just don't need him anymore. We got rid of him. Okay, I always want, there was a shirt that somebody said is, Nietzsche's dead, God says, I'm still here. But that was another thing. Um, you know, the whole concept was, you know, the fact that uh, this whole issue is, it does not take us to be unintelligent to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It merely means to open up our hearts to him and realize that the God of this world is deceiving us. We also need to do what he has called us to do is, in spiritual warfare, we need to be constantly praying for the Spirit of God to go into people's hearts. But we also need to get out there. Verse 5 says, We proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants 
for Jesus' sake. Remember, this word servant is actually more uh, accurately a slave. Preach not yourself, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and realize that God is the one who makes it happen. The, nothing is more, I, I love doing baby dedications, but I love doing baptisms. When I see somebody who was outside of Christ come to know Christ and I'm able to baptize them. But you know what I realize when I'm baptizing them? I didn't do it. Well, pastor, they got saved when you're in your church, but I didn't do it. If I sit here every day and look around and say, you know what, there's a few people here, I better get them saved. That's not going to work. It is God working through us that is going to open up their eyes so that they can be saved. In your world, the people that you minister to, it is God working through you that is going to help them be saved. It is God opening their eyes because the God of this age has closed their eyes and veiled them. But the Spirit of God working through you can open up their eyes. It can happen. And it also goes back to verse 1. You can lose heart really quickly as a pastor or a minister if you start to think, I need to get all of my friends saved. You may be a kid here and you want to bring some people to youth group with you and you say, none of my friends will come. I must be a terrible Christian. That's not it. You need to be faithful and keep doing it knowing that the Word of God's working through you every day. Be faithful and don't lose heart. Don't give up. You maybe have friends you've been working on for a long time. Be faithful and don't give up. Be a good servant. Stay with it. But may understand also that the light shines through us. Look at Verse 6, For God, who said, Let the light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When you go out into your community as a minister, realize the fact that you are shining. I talked about a few weeks ago that you need to smell. Okay? You need to have a fragrance that Paul was talking about. Now he's talking about you need to have a light that shines out of you. When you walk into a room, the light starts to shine. We just recently had a few um, uh, electricians, I don't want to identify who they were, but come to our church, and one of them swore. And I thought he was just going to fall, fall into pieces at the moment. He said, oh, I'm so sorry, I, I didn't mean that. It's just, it's, and it's just, it was kind of funny. We didn't say anything. It was like, okay. You're, you're. But the concept was, and I was okay with it, it's like, maybe the light is shining and you're seeing that maybe it wasn't a good idea that you said that. I don't want you to feel guilty about it and do it for me, but if you're doing it to God, yeah, it's better that you do that. If you walk into a place, it's not your job to be everybody's mom and tell them all the things they're doing wrong. The shining light that is coming out of your spirit is going to let them know that. The life that you are living is making them feel guilty. It's your job to show them the love of Jesus Christ. It's God's job to convict them of their sins. It's God's job to break down the veil in their lives. It's his job to do that. It's the light that shines into us. I think it's important to understand, why do we gather together every Sunday? Why do we gather in small groups? Why do we have personal devotion so that the light of God gets, becomes in us? Because the stronger the light becomes in us, the stronger the light that goes out to this world. And if you walk around northern Minnesota, outside of Bemidji, you know it can get really dark. And you need to have a light. That is what the world is living in. You cannot see, they cannot see anything around but we have the light that can shine into this world. And it says right here that it comes from the Spirit of God. We also need to understand that we are called to be faithful. Paul in 1 Corinthians said this. He said, I planted, Apollos watered, 
But who's the one who's able to make it happen? God gives the increase. God is the one. You can plant, you can water, but realize the fact that no one is ever going to be saved unless it's through the power of God and them, that person, accepting the power of God working through you. Now the good news is, it takes you off the hook a little bit, but the also, also the news is, you get to be a part of it. Okay, you get to go out there. You get to go out there and be a part of it. And you don't have to lose heart because you're out there shining your light and not everybody's going to accept it. Paul is saying it right here. Not everybody's going to accept the light because they'd rather follow the darkness of this present age. But realize the fact that we can save all that can be saved. All that are willing. Whosoever will may come, the Bible says. Whosoever will may come. And we need to make sure that we are out there every day not losing heart that we are out there every day focusing on staying true to what the gospel has called us to do, not changing it for our own purposes, but doing it actively, and also realizing that we are at war. But by the power of God, His power, His light shining through us can change people's lives. Why don't you stand with me right now? If our prayer ministers could come forward. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ, you've never made Him the master of your life, you are living in darkness. And you say, well, that doesn't sound very nice, Pastor. You should say it in a nice, clean way. Like, well, you just have an alternate style of life, and it's okay. I'm sorry, that's not what the Bible says. And it's offensive to American Christians to say it, but you know what? The Bible says it, I'm going to tell you. If you're outside of Christ, you're living in darkness. You're not a follower of Jesus Christ. I, I'd, be, I'd be hurting you by not telling you that. I wouldn't be your friend. So if you've never accepted Jesus Christ, today is the day to accept Him. Today is the day to have your sins forgiven by Him. Today is the day to become a slave to Jesus Christ, which means freedom, which means freedom from sin, which means freedom from this world. It means you're not stuck by this world. You're not just floating on with the wave of this world. You can have freedom over sin in your life. You can have peace with God. And you can have life eternal with Him when it starts today. This is all possible because of what Jesus Christ did. And if you're here, you need to make that commitment. You need to talk to one of our prayer ministers. Also, if you're here and you have anything you need someone to pray with you about, anything, our prayer ministers are available to pray with you as long as they need to. Because we don't want anybody to walk out of here without someone praying for them. Because we believe that powerfully in it. But for the rest of us here, you are going to your mission field the moment you leave here. Every single one of you. And they are waiting for you. And they are veiled by this world. They are struggling. So I want you to commit to pray for God's Holy Spirit to work in your community, but to work in you. Make that commitment that you're going to say, you know what? I'm not going to give up either because God has called me to do this. And God is the one who said he's going to be working through me, so I'm just called to be faithful. And if everybody doesn't get saved, it means that I'm just going to come the next day and show more light to them and pray for them more and not lose heart and not give up because it's hard. But I'm going to keep doing it because God has called me and I'm going to see people change. And I may never see it. I may be the one who planted. I may be the one who watered. But someday the increase is going to come and it's because of what we did and how faithful we were to God. Let's be the faithful ministers of God to our community. Let's see this life change. It's not going to come top down. It's going to come from the people of the churches of Bemidji going out as people of God 
to this community and reaching people through the power of the Holy Spirit shining through us. That's the only hope this town has. And let's just do it today and make that commitment. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you have called us, God, to a high mission. I thank you, God, that you don't just call us to a high mission, God. You realize that there's going to be stress in it. You already said, you showed an Apostle Paul here, God, that it's easy and it's probably the simple thing to do to lose heart, God, or become cowardly with it because it's a tough task. But when you give us this task, God, you also give us your spirit. You also give us your power. We don't need to resort to our own methods, God. We need to work with your methods. Stay true to the word of God and realize that the power of your word, the power of your spirit shining through us can break down barriers. Lord, we want to see people changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. We want to see our families changed. We want to see our community, our neighbors, our workplace, God. God, it's not our job to come in and be the condemner. It's our job to come in and bring the good news of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit's going to do the work of conviction. It's our job to bring the good news of your Spirit. And God, as we think of the darkest times, Lord, as we come up to the time when we have the shortest day of the year, God, it's dark for so long. Let us realize that your light is shining strong, God, in the darkness. You penetrate all the darkness. No darkness can overcome you, God. The light will overcome. Let us be the people of the light to this community. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you're here today, make sure you take an opportunity to come and pray. Um, Pray with somebody. You can come forward and pray. Otherwise, you are dismissed.